His success in public speaking came by paying attention to his audience. He easily deciphered students' non-verbal behavior. When a student leaned forward, he was sure the student was listening. The moment the student leaned back, he knew that he needed to change the subject or the style of his lecture. Welcome to Personality Matters. I am Anthony Young, and today we will be talking about Adam Smith. Adam Smith was born in Kirkeldy, a small village near Edinburgh. He grew up in a rather well-off family. His father was a customs agent and his mother a daughter of a substantial landowner. At 14, Smith went to the University of Glasgow. Back then, university was the heart of the Scottish Enlightenment. Smith was strongly influenced by the famous philosophy professor Francis Hutcheson. Even though later Smith came to disagree with many of his views and ideas, Francis Hutcheson played a real role in Smith's education and development. Yeah, it's totally fine to disagree with your teacher. Later, Smith got a scholarship to Oxford where he continued his studies. However, Oxford turned out to be quite a boring place compared to the vibrant and energetic Glasgow. So he spent most of his time teaching himself philosophy. See, even in Oxford you might get bored, though it's not the reason to refuse the scholarship. Two years after graduating in 1748, Smith started giving lectures on rhetoric at law at Edinburgh University. And that's where Smith discovered and developed his talent for teaching and crafted his public speaking style to keep his audience engaged. So over time, he earned recognition as a lecturer and saw his lectures getting more and more popular, his influence going way beyond Edinburgh University. And that propelled his career to new heights. Though only 27 years old, he was named professor at Glasgow University. Well, not only rock and roll can make you famous in Britain. His days were strictly organized, in fact. In the morning, he lectured at the university to classes of up to 90 students. And in the afternoons, he was busy with university affairs. And in the evening, he rubbed shoulders with the members of the local aristocracy, which included lots of prominent scientific and intellectual figures like the chemistry pioneer Joseph Black, the inventor of the steam engine James Watt, and the philosopher David Hume. Smith later wrote that it was by far the happiest and most honorable period of my life. Then as now, intellectual circles exchanged frequently, especially between England and France. Smith knew well the works of many French intellectuals, like Voltaire and Rousseau, who he visited while traveling in France. He saw how bitterly they criticized French nobility for their excessive extravagance and the government for controlling too strictly the economy. All that laid the basis for Smith's most famous book, The Wealth of Nations. He worked on the book for over 10 years and published it in 1776. And the book represents a treatise on the causes of prosperity and the character of commercial life that is regarded as a central foundation for modern economics. The book provides an insight into how self-interest guides market processes and was aimed more at legislators than merchants. The main economic idea was that a nation's wealth was best calculated by the volume of gold and silver the nation had at its disposal. But Smith suggested something else, that a nation's wealth should be measured by the amount of production and commerce. In other words, gross domestic product, GDP for short. He also studied ideas about labor and division. He assumed that specialization would result in a qualitative increase in productivity. Smith knew a thing or two about wealth. Who once said, wherever there is great property, there is great inequality. For one very rich man, there must be at least 500 poor. Smith's ideas gained attention just before the Industrial Revolution. Let's go deeper into that. As I said previously, Smith advocated an economic system based on the principle of self-interest. The system was supposed to be guided by an invisible hand that would work towards generating the greatest good for all. 
Well, an invisible hand is not science fiction. It's a metaphor Smith used to describe the idea that the accumulation of individual interest would lead to a global benefit. More accurately, the invisible hand can be interpreted as a laissez-faire market approach, which implies that the market will find its balance without government intervention or any other kind of intervention messing things up. For instance, independent businesses will always be more interested in improving production and returns. They'll buy more efficient equipment to satisfy the demand for goods and services. And returns will be higher when a business is managed by self-interest rather than by a government deciding what's needed. Smith's invisible hand became one of the pillars for free market capitalism, particularly in the United States. In the US, Business circles passionately believe that private markets are way more productive and efficient than those run by governments. Well, we know that Smith had more than five minutes of glory. His work and theories were not only recognized by many foreign thinkers, but also highly appreciated by the British governments, who used his studies to develop their own economic policies. We don't know much about Smith's personal life. There's only one portrait of him on a medallion. He never got married, and we know even less about any romance that he might have had. According to some accounts, he was kind of goofy, with a twisted way of walking, and was incredibly absent-minded. And in 1790, at the age of 67, he passed away peacefully in Edinburgh. Thank you for watching Personality Matters. We talk about those who've made the world. And until next time, I'm Anthony Young.